Thank you, Mary Alice. That was beautiful. Ain't no grave could hold his body down. Amen? Amen. And when he calls us, there ain't no grave going to hold our bodies down. Amen? Every, every person in graves will hear the voice of the Son of God. Jesus said in John 15, and he will call us forth from the grave. Amen. Well, happy Easter to all of you. And uh, we're celebrating today. Choir did a wonderful job, and all the singing was beautiful. And, and uh, now we want to look into the Word together. And I want to pose this question to all of us today. How will we respond to the miracle of Easter? You know, 35 miracles are recorded for us in the ministry of Christ. They're recorded in detail. But there were many more miracles on, on quite a few occasions in the Scripture. It says he healed many, or he healed all that was there, and so forth. So there were probably hundreds that were healed, and miracles that were worked. But the greatest miracle is the miracle of the resurrection. The miracle that uh, substantiates the cross and the sacrifice for our sin. The resurrection that uh, makes valid Christ's claim to be God in the flesh and to be the only way to heaven. That glorious resurrection so that he is alive today to save, to forgive, and to take care of his people. Amen? So, it's the greatest of all miracles. How will we respond today? You and I, I'm talking about all of us right here. How will we respond to this miracle that's before us? Well, look in chapter 28 of Matthew. You should already be there. It was on the screen for you. Matthew 28 and verse 1. We come to these familiar verses. It's like visiting an old friend to read these verses. And it brings joy to your heart. Verse 1 says, At the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn towards the first day of the week, that's Sunday morning, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. John only mentions Mary. Here, Matthew mentions two Marys. But when you put all the Gospels together, we know there were several other women there. There was really a whole group of women. We don't know how many because Luke says... Uh, after naming some, he says, and others. So we don't know if there was a group of six or eight or ten. We don't know. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. And his countenance was like lightning. Wow. Try to picture that in your mind. And his raiment, white as snow, and for fear of him the keepers did shake and became as dead men. These big, tough Roman soldiers that were guarding that tomb, one angel, and they began to shake with fear. Their knees began to knock. And they eventually fainted and became as dead men over the uh, view of this angel. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. Amen? He is risen as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay. 
And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall you see him. Lo, I have told you. And they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy, and did run to bring his disciples' word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, All hail. And they came and held him by his feet and worshipped him. Then said Jesus unto them, Be not afraid. Go tell my brethren that, you go, that they go into Galilee, and there shall they see me. Now when they, uh, now when they were going, behold, some of the watch, this is the Roman soldiers that were supposed to be guarding the tomb, uh, some of the watch came into the city and showed unto the chief priest all the things that were done. So they told him everything. Told him about the angel. Told him that they fainted. And uh, when they woke up, they went to tell their, uh, their leaders. And when they were assembled with the elders and had taken counsel, they gave, them large, uh, gave large money unto the... Uh, oh, I lost my place. And they gave uh, large money unto the soldiers, saying, Say ye, his disciples came by night and stole him away while ye slept. A lot of things wrong with that. One thing is if guards were caught sleeping, they could be put to death, sleeping on duty, so they wouldn't do that. The other thing is if they were asleep, how do they know what happened? And, uh, but that's what they were paid to say. Verse, 15, so they, uh, verse 14, And if this come to the governor's ears, we will persuade him and secure you. That is, you will not pay the penalty of death if... This story about you sleeping comes out. We'll make sure you're safe. So they took the money and did as they were taught. This saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. Father, what a glorious passage of Scripture. Thank you that not only did you give Christ for us on the cross, but you gave him to us in our hearts, a risen Lord. We celebrate that today. Speak to us, and may we be honest to answer the question, how will we respond to this great miracle of Easter? In Christ's name, amen, amen. Some years ago, a pastor by the name of Ordes, who ministered in Hungary, was arrested for preaching the word. He was in prison two different times. The first time, over a year, 20 months. The second time, he was in prison for six years for preaching the gospel. He later wrote this, and now I'm quoting from him. The place, they placed me in solitary confinement in a tiny cell, perhaps six feet by eight feet, with no windows and soundproofed. They hoped to break down my resistance by isolating me from all sensory perception. They, they thought I was alone. They thought I was alone. They were wrong. The risen Christ was present in that room. And in communion with him, I was able to prevail. You know, the real heart 
of the Christian faith. It's not rules, do's and don'ts and regulations. The real heart of the Christian faith is Christ himself, the risen Lord. Salvation is a personal relationship with him. He comes into our lives and he can help us through every kind of difficulty in life. Well, in this passage, we see how some people responded to this miracle. So let's think about it and compare it to ourselves. How will we respond to the miracle of Easter? Some of them responded with a willful skepticism, even a deceitful skepticism. The guards knew what happened, and they gave eyewitness testimony to the religious leaders. These very religious, very strict religious people, you know. And they had an they had a eyewitness report from their own soldiers saying that an angel came and rolled the stone away. The tomb was empty, and Jesus was resurrected. But they devised a deception to say that they were asleep and his disciples came and stole the body. A deceptive skepticism. But then general, just general skepticism is still willful skepticism. Jesus said people don't come to the light because they love Darkness. People are willfully skeptical, even when you think of a general skepticism about Christ and about the resurrection. Look at your screen for a moment. Josh McDowell was a skeptic in college. He was challenged by a Christian professor to research the historical evidence for Christ and his resurrection. Now, he tells the story of being in college and he was skeptical. He was willfully skeptical of Christianity. The truth is, he said all kinds of critical things about, uh, about Christianity. He said, for instance, I'm quoting, Christianity, that's for unthinking Weaklings, not intellectuals. And then he said, uh, Don't give me that religious garbage. I'm fed up with religion. I'm fed up with church. And I'm fed up with the Bible. And so forth. But when he was in college, he ran into eight students and two professors that hung out together and spoke to each other and fellowship together. He noticed they had something different from him. They had a they were happy. He said, quote, they were disgustingly happy because he was disgustingly uh, miserable. And he noticed they were happy and they were kind to people and good to people. And so he asked, he started hanging out with them. And one day he asked one of them, what's your secret? Why are y'all so happy? And she said two words. He said, That's, those two words I didn't think I would ever hear on a college campus that was answering a serious question. The two words were, Jesus Christ. And he flew off and made fun of them and so on and so forth. And they challenged him. 
to look at the historical evidence. He took that challenge because he wanted to prove them wrong. He got so serious about it that he actually skipped a couple of semesters of school and went to Europe and studied in the oldest libraries in Europe and studied the oldest manuscripts and historical records. And he came to the conclusion that Jesus was who he said he was. Listen to the way he put it. If I were to remain intelligently honest, I had to admit that the Old and New Testament documents were some of the most reliable writings in all antiquity. I admitted that Jesus Christ was who he claimed to be. But still, he said, I put off calling on him as Savior because he said, I love to party and drink on the weekends and had been doing it all my life. And he said, I didn't want to have to give up my sin. And so as Jesus said, people don't come to the light because they love the darkness. But eventually, he called on Christ as Lord and Savior. Look at your screen again for a moment. He became a follower of Christ. Later in one of his books, he wrote this, A large volume of evidence exists to support the resurrection claims. In fact, there is more legal historic evidence the kind used in courtrooms for the resurrection than there is for Napoleon's defeat at Waterloo. Now, don't be too surprised about that because there is more evidence, historical, not just biblical, but historical evidence for the resurrection of Christ than there is for a lot of the uh, historical happenings that, that uh, everybody accepts to be true because history is reliable. But when it comes to the resurrection of Christ and even a heavier weight of evidence, people reject that because they have a willful, a willful skepticism. Lee Strobel, you've heard that name many times. He was a skeptic, but not only that, he was an avowed atheist. He had a journalism degree and a master's degree in law from Yale. He was an award-winning investigative reporter for the Chicago Tribune for 14 years. And then something tragic happened to him, in his opinion. His wife became a Christian. She became a follower of Christ. And so he decided he would set out to prove he would use his investigative skills and all of his training in law to prove that Christianity was a hoax. And so he set out to do that. And as he would tell in his writings, two years later, he came to the exact opposite conclusion. He concluded that Jesus is Lord and Savior and that he arose from the dead. And so he called on Christ. He met the risen Lord and became his follower. Now, you probably heard that before, but here's something you, maybe not, you have not heard. Lee said... A few months after I became a follower of Christ, our five-year-old daughter, Allison, Allison, again the five-year-old daughter, who had previously only known a father who had been profane, angry, 
verbally harsh, drunken, and all too often absent, walked up to my wife and said, Mommy, I want God to do for me what he has done for Daddy. The Lord changes lives, doesn't he? He forgives our sins and he changes us and makes us new creatures in Christ Jesus. Well, so there's willful skepticism. And then you can respond with a willing reception. That is, you can willingly recept Christ, accept, receive him. And uh, uh, he will not force himself on any of us. We have to be willing. We have to make that decision. We have to say, yes, Lord Jesus, to his claim on our life. Fifty days after the resurrection, on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 souls, 3,000 people called on Christ to be Lord and Savior after Peter preached that great message on the day of Pentecost. And they, the, the church was founded, the church was born. And since that time, people from every walk of life for the last 2,000 years, from every walk of life, have met the risen Lord, the rich, the poor, the educated, the uneducated, people from every, every ethnic background, people of every language. Along the way, they've met the risen Lord and became His followers. They've received Him. You could, some of you today maybe need to receive Christ into your heart as your Savior. Well, there's a third thought I want to share with you. We could respond to this miracle of Easter with a renewed heart. Now I'm talking to believers. I'm talking to people who are already saved. You belong to Christ. But it's pretty easy to lose our enthusiasm, isn't it? It's pretty easy to lose our joy and purpose. And so I want to challenge all of us today in, in the light of this miracle that's right in front of us that we let our hearts be renewed. We see that in this text. For instance, we see a renewed fear. Notice... In, in our text there, notice in verse uh, 8, And they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear. Now, fear is not usually thought of in a positive way, but in a negative way. But it can be used in a negative way, and it can be used in a positive way. A little earlier on, for instance, in verse 4 it says, And for fear of him, the angel, the keepers did shake and become as dead men. That's a negative fear. They were afraid for their lives. They were terrified for their lives. This word in verse 8 is, is phobos in the Greek. And it can mean and does mean in this text a positive fear like, like all. To be in awe of something big, something wonderful, something miraculous. To be in awe. I know, I know many of you have probably been to Niagara Falls. Karen and I took a group of senior citizens back a few years ago. We had a ball. And, uh, but when you, when you get close to that falls, 
there's something awesome about it. There's a certain amount of fear, this kind of fear, this positive fear. And the same with the Grand Canyon. When you're looking at something so much bigger than you are, something so magnificent, then it causes us to awe. That's the kind of awe we ought to have over the Lord Jesus. He's the creator and the sustainer of all life. And he's risen from the dead and he's alive right now. And he's, if you're a Christian, he's in your life and in your heart. We ought to be in awe of who he is. Let's let the Lord renew our awe. When they were running away, they were full of fear. They were full of awe because of the great and wonderful thing they had heard about. And then we see another important word, worship. Look at verse 9. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them. This is the second appearing. He appears first to Mary Magdalene actually at the tomb. The ladies was the second appearance. Jesus met them saying, all hell, and they came and beheld and held him by his feet and worshipped him. Can you see that? I picture that in my mind. They, they came, they bowed around and they touched his feet and they worshipped him. The Greek word worship comes from a root word that means to kiss the hand. If you go back even further, it meant to lick the hand like a dog licking the hand of his master. Or like a person kissing the hand of the master. It means surrender. Now the English word worship is a wonderful word as well. It means to express worth. It means to, uh, to express how much something is worth to you, like how much Jesus is worth to you when you sing. But real worship is the kissing of the hand. When we sing, it doesn't matter how beautifully we sing. It's if our hearts are yielded to the Lordship of Christ. And we're bowing. This word also has the idea of laying prostate before someone. We are bowing in our hearts to His Lordship. That's worship. Now, I'm afraid sometimes we come in and about halfway through the singing, we start thinking about all the things we got to do later this afternoon, and then about halfway through the preaching, or really two minutes into the preaching, you start thinking about how, uh, how much, uh, what you're going to eat for lunch, you know, and you can't wait for lunch, and you hope the preacher will hurry up a little bit because you're getting hungry and so forth. Let's have a renewed, let's let the Lord renew in us this thing of worship. So that when we come together, we're singing and we're, we're expressing His worth. And in the inside, we're prostrating before Him as Lord and Master. And then there's this thing that all of us want, joy. Remember Josh McDowell, he said those group of Christians, that what drew him to them was they were uh, disgustingly happy. But it's easy to lose that joy. We let it slip away from us. Notice in the text there, uh, in verse 8 again, they, they departed quickly with fear and great joy. Not just joy, but great joy. The Greek word is megos. It's where we get our word mega. 
mega joy, big joy uh, they had. Their hearts were full of joy. Now, there's joy, there's joy that's logical for a Christian. For instance, we should be joyous because we know our sins are forgiven. We know we have a home in heaven. Those, that's logical joy. But the Bible also speaks of a supernatural joy in the presence of Christ. Jesus said, These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might be in you and your joy might be full. Let's let him restore our joy this morning. A renewed heart. And then a renewed presence. That is the presence of the Lord. He's alive. And if you're a believer, he's in your heart. When you get up in the morning... First person you ought to speak to is him. He's right there with you. All through the day, speak to him, talk to him, fellowship, commune with him. You don't have to be in a solitary confinement like Ordes to commune. You commune with him in your car, on the way to work, while you're at work, in the neighborhood, whatever you're doing. Jesus said in the Upper Room Discourse, John 14, about the cross... And the resurrection, he said, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come unto you. Notice in our text there, he says, tell, verse 10, Tell them to go into Galilee, and there shall they see me. Now for 40 days, they saw him. They touched him. He spoke to one group of 500 people. But he spoke to a lot of different groups during those 40 days. And he was with them. But ten days later, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came. The Holy Spirit came to indwell every single believer. And when he came to indwell, he brings now with him the very presence of Christ himself. The risen Lord now is in our hearts. Somebody put it this way, I envy not the twelve. Can you imagine seeing Jesus and seeing his miracles. But this writer says, I envy not the twelve, for nearer to me is he. For the life he once lived here on earth, he now lives again in me. Don't, don't envy the twelve. He's, he's in us. And so we have a renewed heart. Let him renew your heart today. And then there's one more thing, an illogical indifference. Suppose, suppose for a moment that a month after the resurrection, there's a group of people standing around, they're all talking, and one of them said, hey, you know, you heard about that Jesus. Some people said he arose from the dead, and, and others say it was fake, and, and so they talk about it. And then most of them in that little group say something like this. I don't know whether it's true or not. It doesn't make any difference to me. Because I've, I've got to take care of my family and I've got to run my business. I've got to take care of the farm and I've got work to do. I don't have time to think about that. And they're just indifferent to it. Most people, that's the way they are today. They're just indifferent. Doesn't matter. But that's so illogical. If he really rose from the dead, then it's the greatest miracle in mankind, and it, and it substantiates that he is the king of glory. 
If he didn't, then it's the greatest hoax ever perpetrated on mankind. To be indifferent is illogical. Alfred Akeley was a Presbyterian pastor and a songwriter. On Easter morning, he got up and he clipped on the radio to listen to preaching and singing while he was shaving. And so while he was shaving, a liberal preacher came on the air. And uh, he said this, and I quote now. He says, Good morning, it's Easter. You know, folks, it really doesn't make a difference to me if Christ be risen or not. As far as I'm concerned, his body could be as dust in some Palestinian tomb. The main thing is, his truth goes marching on. Dr. Akeley was infuriated. He even shouted out, that's a lie. And his wife said, honey, what's wrong with you? He said, did you hear that? Did you hear that lie? That morning he went and preached. That evening he sat down at his piano. Because of this incident, he wrote the words, He lives, he lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. You ask me how I know he lives? He lives within my heart. Is he in your heart? Notice how important Christ being in us is. Just a few verses. What is the riches of the glory of the mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory? Christ liveth in me, Paul said, and the life which I now live in the flesh or in the body, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Christ liveth in me. That's what gives us the possibility of victory. And we live by faith. We need joy. We take it from Jesus. We need strength. We receive it from Jesus. Here's another one. Examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. No, you're not your own selves. How that Jesus Christ is in you, except you be reprobates. Now, that translation of the word reprobates, we, we use that word in a different meaning today. In 1611, when the King James was translated, it, it meant counterfeit. Be sure you're not a counterfeit, Paul says. He's writing to the church at Corinth. He's writing to church people but he says be sure you're in the faith be sure Christ is in you if he's not in you you're a counterfeit how important it is to know for sure that Christ is in our heart and in one last verse Jesus speaking behold I stand at the door and knock if any man hear my voice his word is his voice if any man hear my voice and open the door, that's the door of the heart, I will come into him. Isn't that a wonderful promise? He didn't say I might or if you do it exactly right or he didn't put stipulations on it. Open the door and I will come into him. 
or of course her. And we'll sup. The word sup means to eat, but it has the meaning, the idea of fellowship. He will fellowship with us and, uh, and he with me. Be sure Christ is in your heart. Remember Josh McDowell I told you about? He said Christ changed his life so drastically it was unbelievable. He had always been... Uh, he always was in a hurry and jittery and uh, had no peace of mind. He said it wasn't long until he began to have peace of mind. He said he also had a quick temper and uh, was bad about getting in fights and chewing people out and so forth. And he said uh, it wasn't too long after he got saved a few months and somebody uh, brought a crisis to his uh, uh, it's situ situation of a crisis and he said instead of getting angry he handled it calmly he said I hadn't even prayed about my anger he said I just thought it was so much a part of me that it would always be a part of me but Jesus was changing me he said he said maybe the biggest thing was though he was filled with hate he hated people who disagreed with him he hated because of certain issues he hated people. But he said, the person I hated worse was my father. He said, I hated him as much as anybody could hate anybody. He said, his father was the, was the town alcoholic or the town drunk. He said, he came from a small town where everybody knew everybody. And everybody knew his father was the drunk. And he said, his classmates would tease him and make jokes about his daddy being a drunk. And he said he would just play along and laugh with them and make jokes himself. He said, on the outside, I was laughing, but on the inside, I was crying. He said he would get so angry, he'd go home, and his mother would be beaten until she couldn't get up in the barn, laying in the manure behind the cows. Sometimes he would be so drunk that if somebody was coming up the road to the house, he would take his dad out the back door and tie him up in the barn and tell the people he wasn't there. His father was violent and mean and profane. He said about five months after he got saved. After Josh got saved, Christ was pouring out his love in Josh's heart. And so he went to his dad, and he looked him in the eye, and he said, Dad, I love you. And he said, and I really meant it because of what Christ had done. A month or so later, his dad came over to his home, and he was sober, which was very rare thing and he was looked nervous he was pacing the floor and he said finally he said Josh how could you love a father like me he said daddy it's the love of Christ in my heart and he told him again about his research and, and about the conclusion of his research and that he had come to Christ and his father said 
Let me just read. I want to read it to you, the exact words. And his father said, Son, if God can do in my life what I've seen him do in yours, then I want to give him the opportunity. I want to trust him as my Savior and Lord. And he said that was one of the greatest days of his life. He led his father in a simple prayer, calling on Christ to come into his heart and be his Lord and Savior. He said he never took another drink of alcohol for the rest of his life. And his life was completely turned around and changed. Because he didn't get religion, he met the risen Christ. And came into a personal relationship with the risen Lord. Let's be sure we've done that. Bow with me, will you? And if you're not sure, if you've never received Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer like Lee Strobel prayed. Or like Josh McDowell prayed. Or like he led his father in prayer. And if you want to receive Christ, you pray this in your own heart right where you are. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, yeah, silently. You don't have to say it out loud. He knows what you're thinking. Say, Dear Lord Jesus... I believe you died on the cross and I believe you rose from the dead. And I need forgiveness of my sin. I'm a sinner. Forgive me. I open the door of my life. Come into my life. Forgive my sin and help me to live for you. Now, no one's looking but me. If you prayed that prayer with me and you really meant it, whether you were praying for the first time, maybe, or maybe you did it for assurance, but if you prayed that prayer with me, slip your hand up right now and let me pray for you, would you? Yes, God bless you. I see that hand. God bless you. Hold it up long enough for me to look around the room and see. Yes, God bless you. You may put it down. Father, thank you. Thank you for the resurrection. Lord Jesus... Thank you that you are a risen Lord. And I pray that today we as believers will let you renew our hearts and fill us with joy and with, an, with a feeling of awe and wonder at who you are and at your presence with us. For you're alive. We know you are. We rejoice in that. Thank you for this one that prayed for assurance or for receiving you as Savior. For that we give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with me, please. And we're going to sing that great hymn that uh, Akeley wrote, He Lives. Let's, let's sing it with celebration this morning.